follow-up question on that. How many of the town cats are related to Grebo? All of them. 10Z. Welcome to Pratt Chat, the monthly Terry Pratchett Book Club podcast. Each month we discuss one of Terry Pratchett's books with a special guest. This month we're talking about Weird Sisters or The Ramtops Play. And our guest is vaudeville performer Ellie Squire. Hi Ellie. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, well, it's very exciting to have you. I'm excited to be here. It's your first time on Pratt Chat. Yay. And you are a big Discworld fan. I am. I um, have been since probably high school. I used to put them inside my chemistry book instead of doing chemistry. Oh, wow. Because uh, my parents wouldn't let me take tea art, so I took tea, chemistry instead and did nothing. <laughs> what was the first one that you read? I think maybe I read The Color of Magic and then didn't read another one for a while. Because potentially controversial opinion, but Rincewind's not my favorite. Thank you. It's not controversial on this podcast <laughs> oh, yeah. to some I mean, members of the podcast. It's not Rincewind himself. It's just his books aren't as good. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's fine. Um, and I love, I love the, the trunk, possibly one of my favorite characters. But I was like, me, um, do I really want to hear a story about a, a dumb boy? Um, <laughs> I think maybe Weed Sisters was potentially the next one I read. And I didn't stop from there. Yeah. I remember um, I found out that you were into the books. We were on a, a quiz show together. Oh, yeah. And there was a question about mm. naming all of the books. And we got really excited. We were like, we can do this. Mm-hmm. And we, we failed miserably, oh, actually, didn't we? did such didn't a bad we? job. They wanted yeah. you to name all the books? Or as many as we could in the time, I think. Was yeah. that the question? It was something like that. And we did not get as many as I think we probably should have. But, you know, it's never the same when you're on the spot and you're under pressure on a quiz thing. I don't remember the names of anything. I'll be like, you know that song by that person. I like it. I have not registered it in my brain aside from what the song sounds like. Well, fun fact for people listening at home, um, I had to write down my name to introduce myself at the beginning of this podcast in case I got too nervous and forgot it. So Yay. it's all right. <laughs> but it worked out okay. You did remember your own name. You did Mostly. a great job. Thank you. Now, before we get too further, we should congratulate you too, Ellie, because you've had a very successful crowdfunding campaign. Yeah. I'm going on tour next year. And was like, mm, I don't know if I have enough money to do that. So I did a little crowdfund, put some cute little prizes on there and it got funded. And now I'm just kind of trying to bat over that. Yeah. Uh, and that's going pretty well as well. So hooray. Um, it means that I can make some merch and t-shirts and pins and just a bunch of fun stuff. That'll and be also not be excruciatingly poor. Uh, <laughs> it's the arts. Yay. <laughs> uh, there is no glamour in the starving artist uh, no. trope. Uh, nobody should strive for that. It does not make your art better. It just makes you hungry. Shall we chat about a Pratchett book? Yes. Yes. We will start off with a reading of the blurb. Ellie, would you like to take it away? Things like crowns had a troublesome effect on clever folks. It was best to leave all the reigning to the kind of people whose eyebrows met in the middle. Three witches gathered on a lonely heath, a king cruelly murdered, his throne usurped by his ambitious cousin, a child heir and the crown of the kingdom, both missing. 
Witches don't have these kind of dynastic problems themselves. In fact, they don't have leaders. Granny Weathermax was the most highly regarded of the leaders they didn't have. She found that meddling in royal politics was a lot more complicated than certain playwrights would have you believe, particularly when the blood on your hands just won't wash off and you're facing a future with knives in it. That was great. I don't, you know, this is the first time we've read a blurb from one of the newer editions of the books. And they are, they're a bit longer Mm. than the old ones, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't hate. No, it gives you a bit more of an idea of what's going on in the book. Yeah. I really like the old blurbs, but they're usually, like, like this one's like three sentences long. It doesn't necessarily tell you what's going on if you haven't read the book. Well, it's like the shorter one is written by Granny Weatherwax and the longer one is written by Magrat. Like, that is kind uh, of the vibe appropriate. we're going for. Um, um, I'm actually looking at this and I don't think The Colour of Magic was the first one that I read. I oh. think it was Equal Rights. Oh, really? Oh, right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. That changes everything. You started with Granny Weatherwax. I think I did. And then I went went and read The Colour of Magic and was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, look, it's a very different kind of book. Mm. Um, but then I read Mort and Mort, I yep. think, got me back on it. I think yeah. that is my Terry Pratchett timeline, just in case anyone at home is following along. <laughs> They'll want to know. Inquiring yeah. minds want to know. But this is our podcast's first time with the witches, yeah, because we haven't covered okay. equal rights yet. We're starting with Weird Sisters. It's it's kind of the first proper witches book, really, because mm. you know equal rights is amazing, but it only has Granny Weatherwax in it. Yeah, there's no Nanny Og, there's no Magrat. Yeah, this is the start of the the witches as yeah. we know them. Mm. It kind of does start with them as well. Yeah, gathering yeah. on a lonely heath. Yeah. It starts how it intends to go on this book. It's like, yeah. here's here's a very blatant Shakespeare reference for you. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of them. Try and keep up. There's bits of so many different plays in yeah. here. Obviously, it's mostly Macbeth with a dash of Hamlet. But and a then, bit of Richard III. Oh, yeah, there is a bit of Richard III. But then there's like references to at least six or seven other plays. Yeah. Oh, and also the Marx Brothers. Too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's not just Shakespeare in here. It's anything. And we meet the witches for the first time mm-hmm. on the hill. We also meet the storm. This is a recurring motive that I enjoy in this book where there's yeah. the storm who's like an actor themselves mm. and they're doing their, their big performance. It's like, yeah, it's a good storm. I'm, I've been building up to this. But we meet the witches for the first time. Yeah. What, what are our impressions of the witches when we first meet them? have such a soft spot for Magret. I always imagine her as Alice from the Vicar of Dibley. Right. Like, <laughs> is wow. that, that seems accurate to me. Yeah. I don't know. Like, She's a lot smarter than Alice though. Oh, but there's just something like that dippy layer that's on top, mm. that kind of like gullibility. Is gullibility a word? Yeah. 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 And she's so committed to like her idea of what a witch should be. Like she's done the reading, she's bought the outfit, she's got all the jewelry. She knows yeah. what she thinks it is. It isn't what she is on the inside, but mm. it's what she wants to be. So she kind of spends the whole time striving for this image. Yeah. Mm. And it's the one thing that I thought was really great of that was where the fool's listening to someone go la 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 mm. as they frolic through a meadow and it's got the air of someone who feels they should be saying la yeah. not because they want to but that's what you do when you go through a meadow yeah, yeah. Mm. it's I, I one thing that struck me about reading this book is i was a bit confused as to where her traditions come from because she talks about how she was taught by um uh, was it goody, goody, whimper. goody whimper goody whimper and yeah. she seems like she's obviously an older witch yeah so it if she's been taught all these kind of what we would think of as new age witchcraft kind yeah. of traditions, they're obviously not new age 
on the disc world. Like they've been around for a while because they've been passed down from witches, but there's still that kind of disdain. Like it's like, oh, this isn't how we did it in the old days. So it's a, it's one of those weird things where Pratchett's brought something from the real world in yeah, that kind of matches up with the disc world, but maybe not quite. I don't know. I, I really enjoy it. Like I grew up in hippie country, uh, yeah. you know, near Byron Bay. Uh, mm. So all the stuff that Magrat has, I'm like, I've seen it all. Like, yeah, we know. She's got um, a bad girl sticker on her on her broomstick. Like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most likely. I just imagine her cottage has got like band posters in it as well. But I love how determined she is in the face of Granny Weatherwax's unwavering practicality. Granny Weatherwax is constantly like, what you're doing is bullshit. Mm. I hate it. And she's like, well, I'm still going to do it. Like mm. that's... <laughs> And she's got that underlying practicality that Granny Weatherwax has, which is what I love about witchcraft in Discworld in general is that there's not one way to do it, yeah. but there is one way to do it, but there's not one way to get to that point, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Like you can have the wands and wear a fairy dress and be the good witch and, and that sort of thing, which is, you know, in a later book and still have it work for you and it still works in the same way and they all have that same underlying practicality that Granny Weatherwax has. They just don't all wear it on the surface and sometimes Granny Weatherwax is willing to go to that weird dippy place, you know, with the thing that she thinks doesn't work to make it work, if that makes sense. I like how they have that so much respect for each other. Absolutely. And there's a recurring thing in the book where they meet at their different houses mm. and they always defer to whoever's house it is. Yeah. So mm. when they're at Magrat's place, they get out all the candles, they yeah. do the octogram, they do all mm. that stuff. And when they're at Nanny Og's place and she's the one who suggests, oh, we'll do a conjuring because yeah. we'll talk to a demon. And they're like, well, it's your house. All right, we'll do it. We're doing the wash house. Like, yeah, with yeah. the soap flakes. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, so good. And speaking of Nanny Og, who we also meet for the first time mm. in this book, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna put it out there. She is my favourite of the witches. Ooh. I love her so much. I've got a question for you. How much of Lanker do you think is related to her? At least like, half. At least half. At least half. <laughs> well, yeah. some of her kids move far away. Like they don't all That's stay in Lanker. But I was I was looking up like stuff about the Discworld and and supposedly Lank Lank is the biggest kingdom in the Ramtops, but it's yeah. still tiny. There's like maybe six hundred people who live yeah. there, and I reckon if there's six hundred people there, yeah, at least half of them have got to be <laughs> yeah. related to the Ogs in one way or another. Uh, Follow up question on that: How many of the town cats are related to Grebo? All of them, one hundred percent. Yeah, totally. Who we also meet for the first time, although he doesn't show up till later. I, I'd forgotten what his part in this book was because yeah. it's been so long since I'd read it. And, of course, he, he has a much bigger role in some yeah. of the later witches' books. But here his presence is still very definitely felt as soon as you find out oh, about him. He's amazing. He reminds me of Horse from Footwork Flats. Oh, yeah. Very similar vibe. I don't know if you haven't ever read Footwork Flats, which – going back and reading you're a bit like oh no murray ball you're a little bit gross but like some of them are great yeah um when there's no female characters involved brilliant footrot flats was a long-running comic strip about the dog a sheepdog in rural new zealand imagine gaspar the wonder dog as a border collie forced to work hard for a living on a farm in lanka and you'll get the general idea uh but horse was a, a cat that was actually a real cat that he had um, that was exactly like Rebo, like would beat up the dogs. Everyone was afraid of him, was huge. So I think because I loved Footwork Flat so much as a kid and I loved horse, when Rebo came along, I was like, yes, 
This is my favourite one. <laughs> He's in my top ten. Well, we do need to talk about Granny Weatherwax, though. Yeah. And this is not her first appearance in a Discworld book, and she's even name-checked in a couple of the ones between Equal yeah. Rights and here. She is the greatest of the leaders that the witches don't have. Absolutely. Like, she's that real uh, no-nonsense tough love. And sometimes I think she goes too hard on the tough, uh, but then always comes back. And I think she's also willing to admit that she's been a fool, even if she, she'll never actually admit that she's been a fool to mm. anyone, but except Nanny Og. Like, Nanny Og's like, mm-hmm, all right, all right there, Granny Weatherwax. Um, and yeah, she'll be like, yeah, all right, don't ever talk about this to anyone. And I kind of love imagining them as, because there's that brief scene, but, like, I love imagining them as young women together because, like, they're, yeah. cause they talk about how they knew what each other were like, and I just can't really see them getting, like, having the same dynamic but being young and going about their business. but And I do, I really like that Pratchett always left that a bit mysterious. Like you get hints about what they were like when they were younger. Yeah. And in some places you get quite big hints about specific episodes in their lives, but mm-hmm. you never really get the full story. Yeah. And I'm like, we don't need it. We th- we want them as they are now. Yeah. Because she's kind of like Miss Marple as Marple is written, not played on TV. Like she's just very yeah. no nonsense. She gets stuff done. She cares about the people around her, but she'll also have no trouble like just taking down a murderer like yeah. that's that's fine yeah i can Im- actually that would be amazing like a crime procedural with granny weatherwax <laughs> well because i kind of also see her as like a doctor like that's kind mm. of her you know like she applies a lot of things that i would consider to be modern medicine because i think in the books from memory doctors are, are like they used to be just like creepy hacks who like oh, yeah can't do anything but i always imagine um granny weatherwax which is a little bit typecasty because she's already played a witch but um maggie smith like yeah oh she'd be so good with like or tilda swinton when she gets a little older like i can see her like stare like real she does a real good icy stare again Mm. they both played witches so they both do a good snap Mm. like a good Mm. like speaking of someone else who's already played a witch who would be good Angelica Houston. Oh, yeah, of course. Because there's of that course. thing where it talks about how Granny Weatherwax is always hopeful that she'll be like a really ugly, wrinkly old crone, but actually she's got amazing skin and teeth. <laughs> yeah. and, and while she's older, she still looks really good. And I'm like, yeah, yeah Angelica Houston, she's like that. That would oh, be amazing. Man, she would be yeah. so good. And uh, Nanny, uh, Nanny Og is Miriam Margulies. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yes. <laughs> it's just oh, her vibe. And her, and her tribe of just daughters-in-law who come and provide everything do everything for her and she sits sort of as the matriarch so perfect in the uh, animated version uh, the voice for granny weatherwax was provided by annette crosby who plays the um i've forgotten her first name mrs meldrew in one foot in the grave but i could really imagine her even like in live action really nailing the role as well like, when was Weird Sisters written? Was it the early 90s or the late 80s? Late 80s. Yeah. So, so it's before The Craft. It's before Buffy. Yeah. So it's interesting because there was like a wave of sort of new age witchy sort of characters, which is how I was imagining Magrat because there's this scene in Buffy where at University Willow is trying to get more into witchcraft. She meets this coven of witches and yeah. the moment she suggests doing spells, they all laugh at her because they all, all they do is wear the clinging gowns and do bake sales. And she ends up calling them a bunch of wanna blessed bees, which mm. is kind of how I imagine Magrat looking but not acting. She's kind of like a combination of the two, like they can do but wants to look like she can do. Yeah. But, um, but that all came after this book, so that's interesting. Yeah. Well, we should probably we should get back to the plot, oh, I suppose. Yeah. Sorry. One of the things I really noticed about – there are a couple of things I noticed right at the start of this book. Like there's so many jokes compared to some of the later books where there's still lots of good jokes. Yeah. But the early ones just have so many jokes. And I think it's fair to say not all of them – 
quite stick as well yeah. as the others. So I think it's still a case of Pratchett finding his comedic voice. Mm. The other thing I loved about this is the way he names things in the disc yeah. world, and particularly in this book where he uses names like Ram Tops mm-hmm. and Bad Ass <laughs> and uh, Mad Stoat. Like those are yeah. the, the place names as opposed to in your traditional fantasy novel when things are called like the Dragon's Spine yeah. and the, you know, the Giant's nostril or no that no no that's a pratchett name but you know yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean yeah and i just love that i thought but that it's was really good also so clearly english like there's places in the english countryfied called countryfied hmm? country sad <laughs> called like you know the butt's ass and like you know yeah. i'm pretty sure there's a place called fuck like it's just like <laughs> it's that, that he's naming them how english towns are named like, like what's over there we'll name it after that like, yeah. yeah oh what's that it's a it's a stair mm. cow welcome to the township of stair cow mm. like <laughs> <laughs> they make a particularly good strong cheese um well, my dad um <laughs> is where the mouth of the river is is a port so it's yeah. portsmouth yeah so yeah okay. yeah done uh, but this is also where we find out about ghosts and we we actually we we had forgotten about ghosts on the mm. Discworld in an earlier episode. We were like, are there ghosts on the Discworld? And of course there are. There, yeah. And there's loads of them in this book. Mm. The first scene after we meet the witches is the murder of the current king of Lanka, yeah. King Varence the first. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know who did it. The king knows who did it because yeah. he was there. He got murdered. But nobody else seemingly knows who did it. Yeah. Mm. And he becomes a ghost. It's the scene where death comes for him. Oh, God, death. So good <laughs> to have death. And, uh, interestingly, I was thinking this actually... Death, when he has only small role, usually shows up at the start and at the end. Yeah. Like if he's only got a cameo, he's very rarely in the middle of a book. He's kind usually... of like in life. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it just also reminds me how many of Pratchett's books start with murders. Like Oh, so many. Loads of them. But yeah, he turns up and talks to him about being a ghost. And it's interesting because he uses the phrase, this is very irregular. Mm. And yet there are hundreds of ghosts in the castle. But like irregular for non-royals and things like that. Like it kind of mm. makes sense because they have really strange lives, really strange legacies and a lot of business they want to carry on and see yeah. over. A lot of haunting to do in the mm. royal family. So that's true. So I guess that's a hub of ghosts, but there's not many anywhere else. Right. Yeah. They, did, they do say that Grebo is interested in seeing King Varence's ghost because he doesn't see them very often. Mm. Yeah. And being a magic prone cat, you'd think he'd see... I think all cats yeah. see ghosts. Yeah. I mean, also Shakespeare is full of ghosts. Yeah. And they make a, they a joke Literally, about that a lot as well. ghosts. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, they do. They make that joke later on where, well, the playwright who we'll meet in a minute is, yeah, he's just suggesting putting a ghost in the play that he gets commissioned to write. Yeah. And they're like, are you sure about the ghost? He's like, yes, it's essential to the plot. And you said that about the last five plays as well. <laughs> <laughs> and then he just says, I just love ghosts. <laughs> like, yeah, good. Who wouldn't love a ghost? And then uh, the other thing that happens, of course, the the son, the king's son, mm. is spirited away by a loyal servant, yep. um, and chased by some guards who are loyal to the killer, who along is with the, the Duke Felmet. Oh, along with the crown. That's right. They take yeah. the crown as well, mm-hmm. which means they must have been there at the murder because presumably Varence was wearing the crown. Was he? No, I don't think they wear it no. most of the time. It's for formal functions. Oh, really. okay. he probably sits on some sort of cushion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's I more guess like a box. figure crown. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, I guess I was thinking more like fairy tale where they're always wearing the crown. But you're right; in more practical sense, they don't always wear it, do they? Yeah, especially if he's hunting all the time; like it would get in the way. Yeah, it'd fall off. Yeah, um, you're riding a horse. I like to think that that maybe the servants found out about it as well as like you know like that someone found him, someone's rung a bell, and they've gone, "The king's been murdered," and then um it runs through the you know the castle very quickly. The king, the king's been murdered, and then they're like, "Oh no!" And then they grab the little bab. 
and run him off. They're like, oh, I can see it in my head clearly. They've got a little torch. They're like running through a tunnel. And I've seen Downton Abbey. You can't plan like a murder without all the servants knowing it's coming. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and they they get the baby to the witches. Mm-hmm. And this is I like I know it's early on for this, but this is absolutely one of my favorite scenes in the book. Mm. Um, particularly because there's just some great lines in it. You know, they they hear the hoofbeats and it's like, oh, sounds like someone's running from something. Like they're scared. Mm. And uh, Margaret says, what's to be afraid of? Us, said Granny with like smugly. <laughs> I'm like, yes, that's so good. Yes, it's so Granny her. with the wax, work. And that, like, it's, I, I was really impressed because this is the first one, like I said, that we've read with the witches in it, mm. is that in that first scene there's not a lot of description of who the witches are, but no. you instantly know who they are the mm. way that they're written. And their hierarchy. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. But, yeah, they, they get the baby delivered to them and they deal with the soldiers. Mm-hmm. The other line that's a bit of a throwaway is when um, one of the other guards runns away mm-hmm. and Nanny Og's looking at him and she's got the, there's a repeated description of Nanny Og where she's like looking at things and sizing it up and she just goes I could catch him what do you reckon <laughs> I'm like yeah, yeah I want to see that that'd be awesome but they don't um, and also when they oh there's so many good bits in this in this start scene like when someone says oh I recognise that badge that's the badge of King Verence yeah and Granny Weather's just like who's he <laughs> he's the king Oh, right. <laughs> like, it's just so unimportant to her life, like, who's yeah. king. Like, she just keeps on keeping on. And that's the that's the kickoff for the plot, you know? Yeah. Really. Uh, and it's got so many elements. Like, obviously, you've got the Macbeth business. Um, but you've also got a bit of Hamlet stuff in there because, mm. like, the son has survived. And you've got the, some Moses vibes. Moses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They put him in the in the... The river of theatre. Yes. Because mm. that's who they give him to. Oh, it's dirty in there. Mm. <laughs> it's like the Ankh. <laughs> um, also one of my favourite characters. Yeah. The river Ankh. Yeah. Oh. They, they do a good description of the Ankh being like it's so thick that it rises above its banks sometimes, but that's fine because it's not liquid enough. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a great scene where they've gone back to, uh, I think it's Magrat's cottage. Yeah. And uh, Granny Weatherwax is left alone with the crown mm. and she mm. she sort of looks at it and can't resist putting it on and then sees all these visions of like the horrible things that people wearing it have done and had, had done to them Yeah, and then takes it off. Mm. And then when Magret comes back in, she picks it up and is like, mm, yeah, I have to resist putting that on. I would never put that on. <laughs> and, and, and Granny's like, uh, yes, of course, no one would ever put that on. It would be a terrible idea. There's two books of evil hats, isn't it? Like, because this follows on sorcery, which oh, is yeah. just another evil hat mm. that shows you evil things. Is it evil though? Like, I got the impression like a lot of the things that the crown shows her are more the horrible ways that kings die, yeah, rather than the horrible things that kings do. Well, I'll, I'll rephrase: not evil, but like hats that show you how power corrupts. Yeah. Mm. Oh, definitely. Oh, that's also where they introduce the phrase about it's just a thing being what it is. Mm. Yeah, it's a it's a real recurring theme in Pratchett. Yeah, mm. you know, that things have a thingness, and that it will out somehow. Yeah, yeah. They um eventually give away the the crown and the baby to the traveling players, and we get to meet them when they mm. in the great scene where they go to see the play. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and Nanny and uh, and Granny, Granny do not get it. And they're the ladies who are just chatting throughout it, eating a bag of oh, apples, yeah. going, no, that wouldn't happen. No, That's no, he's behind you. He's going to kill you. I saw it happen. And it's, it's, it's pretty much the That's only... man in a dress. Um. <laughs> it's like the only play in the book that's not named as well because yeah. they sort of only come into it halfway through. Nanny Og is looking at the play and it says she's studying the stage with the glare of a research scientist and she says, I reckon 
I reckon it's all just pretended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. You're so smart, Nanny. That's oh, why I love her so much. Nanny, bless you, And that's when we first meet the players, mm. the, the travelling uh, actors, who are, they're very Shakespearean. Yeah. Although they reminded me more of the players from Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead in a way. But they talk a lot about how Vitola is, Vitalier. I can't, I, I think how. Vit- uh, I would say Vitola. Vitola I think. Yeah, how his voice is so magnificent that he wouldn't be able to order coal because what would come would just be diamonds. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just how yeah. great his voice is. <laughs> that, uh, it reminds me a little bit of um, Baron Munchausen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like very much that kind of vibe, like that we're in the theater <laughs> and, you know, everything's kind of. Like, especially, I guess, with this, like, coming in and out of being real and not real and, and stuff like that is really, um, that's kind of the vibe it gives me. And I was yeah. kind of imagining all their players with a Terry Gilliam vibe, so. Yeah, yeah. this is true. Like, um. Mm. They're an interesting company. And, of course, the, the other main character from them is the dwarf playwright. Yeah. Well. Quell slash Will. If you've played the video game, um, either Dragon Age 2 or Dragon Age Inquisition. I haven't. But there's a dwarf character in that named Verrick, and he's a real like bombastic storyteller who has an enormous crossbow, and he and he's 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 actually cut his beard off, like oh. he's that kind of weird. Uh, I'm not a normal dwarf kind of dwarf character, and mm. he's and he wears like a shirt that's like open down to the half down. And I can kind of Quell's not quite that, but I think there's yeah. an element of him yeah. in there. So visually, I kind of think I started to imagine him. Although Verrick is also a bit like Cassanunda, another dwarf we'll meet later on in the Witches series, yeah. who's not like other dwarves. Yeah, but this, he's great. I love him, and he's yeah. written all these weird plays. Actually, one of the first plays uh, mentioned in the book by title. Uh, is called A Wizard of Sorts or Please Yourself. And I think that is the story of Rincewind turned into a play. That's my personal theory. Probably. What a boring play. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm throwing down some extreme Rincewind hate. I don't hate him. I just like... It's okay. I understand. But in a play of that, how many people would they need to get to play the luggage? Because it would be like five people in a luggage suit like, yeah. walking around. That would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I want to see that done on stage for real now. Yeah, because you've got to have lots of legs, so it can't just be two people like a cow. Anyway, they, they meet the players. Um, they sound great. Yeah, Vittel has got this amazing speech. And there's a scene in the pub. Uh, and I, I like that when he suggests that they go to the pub, no one can understand that he's suggesting they go to the pub because he says it in his theatrical it's too way. Fancy. Mm. Uh, and then uh, Granny's very suspicious of the pub anyway. Yeah. And she was, what is she ordered? Like a port and lemon or something? Yeah, that sounds, oh, like, I think that's supposed to be kind of like a shandy. Oh. Um, that seems like a shandy. That's an old lady drink. It does but if you told gross. her it was an old lady drink, she'd, she'd be mad. And she's <laughs> been drinking it since she was 21. Yeah, like. exactly. She's always been old. Yeah. <laughs> Totally, um, and they do, and they do the deal. Yeah, where they test them out by going, "Will you look after this baby?" They find out about this sad, eluded past where they've lost a child, and they go, "Okay, money will be tight, but we'll make it work." And I think it's that line that convinces them that okay, they'll look after this child. Yeah, and then they give them a bunch of money mm. to help look after him. Mm. But, and yeah. there's that great line. It's like you know, if you if we thought you had to be bought, we wouldn't have paid. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. And then they hide the crown in a box of theatrical crowns, where it yeah. looks grubby in comparison. And off the players go. Yeah. Yeah. Into the world to spread the art. Mm. <laughs> and um, art and just as they're leaving, I mean, this is one of my favorite bits: is when they bless the child, like in mm. fairy tale style. Margaret mm. says, "No, we should do that. Like we're like his fairy godmothers now." And they have an argument about it and then they all decide they're just going to go home and do it separately. Mm. Yeah. And they get their different blessings, which I thought were great. 
Magritte says he should be able to make friends easily. Mm-hmm. Nanny's trying to remember the words to the hedgehog could never be buggered at all after getting drunk in the pub. Yeah. So she's like, oh, he's going to be an actor. I hope he can remember all the words. You've forgotten the thing she originally suggested that they never say oh, in words. Yes. And they're like, oh, like it'll be helpful to him when he's older. And, and they're like, no, no, don't do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very clear what kind of gift she intends to give him at that point. <laughs> um, and then um, Granny says, uh, may he be whoever he thinks he is. Which is lovely. Yeah. And they've basically um, created the world's best actor with those three things. Yeah. yeah. I, I remember the first ever theatrical production of Discworld I saw yeah. was Weird Sisters. Yeah. And it was actually the first play. I think it's the first book to be adapted into a play. I think it was as well. And that's a real high bar to set. It's like, yeah. oh, do an amateur theatre production. Also, one of the actors in the play has to play a character who is the greatest actor ever seen. <laughs> If Danny Og had her way with her wish, she would have been the greatest porn actor in the world, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. And how would they do that on the Discord? Because moving pictures hasn't happened yet, so it'd no. have to be like live. Well, porn has always been the first thing to adapt to any new technology. Mm. Uh, so I suspect maybe some sort of imp box arrangement. Yes. Um, well, they definitely have like the equivalent of those little peep show, like you know, oh, you turn yeah. the handle, it's just the photographs mm. being flipped over like a book. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Uh, They'd have to have that. That could have been his line. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and this is also when um, Felmet tries to arrest them mm. and he, he cannot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People are scared of witches and will not turn down tea. Mm. That's right. Oh, this is a great scene where like the guy's telling him how oh she offered us tea and then some cake, but what's his name can't have cake because of his stomach. Yeah. And then Felmet's internal monologue <laughs> is like, Why am I up here? This is place is terrible. You know what this guy's gonna do next? He's gonna tell me what the guy who couldn't have cake had. Yeah. And then the next line is him going, He had a biscuit. <laughs> <laughs> and you, you I like that you can buy into Felmet's frustration because he is he's an evil noble. But he's an evil noble who's had to go out to the countryside to get himself a yeah. kingdom. Yeah. And he hates it so much. It's it's good. He's a good character. I love a good evil guy who's disgruntled to, to about the evil that he's done. Yeah. Like he's like, Ugh, is this really the best I could do? God. <laughs> he's got so many layers, Felmer, actually. Because mm. he's got the whole Lady Macbeth, mm-hmm. I stabbed the guy, now I can't get the blood out of my hand yeah. thing going on. And he's got the wife who's fulfilling the Lady Macbeth role. Yeah, except she doesn't have the him. guilt. Like she, the, he's well, got the true. hands, and she doesn't. She's fine. And we find out more about that later. But like yeah. in Macbeth, she makes him do all this stuff. He's finally losing his sanity, and she's like, "Oh no, my hands!" Like out, out, damn spot. But he gets all of that, and she just keeps on keeping on happy to boss him around. Was yeah. it, do we think that's a missed opportunity? Like, w- would it have been good if Lady Felmet was in it a bit more? Near the end, Granny Weatherwax is told to do her worst by the Duchess, and she goes, okay. And her idea of doing that is to bring down all the mental walls that are in someone's mind where you rationalize bad behavior. She's like, that's the worst thing I could do to someone. You'll just mm. see the error of your ways. And the Duchess freezes up for a moment, and Granny Weatherwax is like, cool, this is done. We've sorted this all out. And then the Duchess is like... I've done that. I'm fine. I'm I'm glad I did all those things and you haven't thwarted me at all. She doesn't care. She's genuinely bad all the way through. She's a, psych- so, she's a psychopath. psychopath. Yeah, so the hands thing wouldn't have worked with her. Well, I think maybe that's why she's not in the book very much mm. so that they've got that bit at the end where it's like, oh, I'm going to get you. And then you find out, whoa, you were way more evil than we thought. I love a good, I love a good proper psychopath in a story just because mm. there's very little you can do mm. that's going to bring them down. Headology doesn't work on someone whose mm. head works in mysterious ways. Exactly. And if you don't try, she thinks you're weak. Like that's her whole thing. Like 
She's strong, you're weak. She appears a bit at the start of the book, but she's really just sort of telling off the Lord Felmet. And it's, there's yeah. whole scenes where you don't hear her side of the conversation because it's all inside his head yeah. and he's mm. not really listening, <laughs> which is so rude. But at the same time, that's Pratchett blending what we would consider now a pretty old-fashioned way to write a comic marriage Yeah, with their also awful nobles who are murdering people. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mm. weird, weird combo. But, but, you know, it works. There's some good jokes in it. Mm. After this is when weird stuff starts to happen. Weird um, stuff with a Y? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Some time passes. And actually there's a few times, there's three times in the book where a bit of time passes and it just says, now it's this much later. And the yeah. first time is just after they send off Tom the, John Tom John with the, the players and Felmet tries and fails to arrest the witches for the first time. Then it's like, it's two months later, the witches meet again. Magra complains because it should be every month, every <laughs> yeah. moon. No, I was busy. I had a wedding. <laughs> Someone's tried to collect taxes from them. Mm. And then a whole year passes. Yeah. You know, so that Tom John can grow up a bit. And a year in which Ghost King Verence has been getting ghost buff so that he can poltergeist <laughs> yeah. a little bit. Well, it's, it's like it's like Patrick Swayze in Ghost, yeah. right? Well, they said like him pushing on a door looked like two footballs mating, which is yeah. just so evocative. <laughs> <laughs> because he's he's all sad about not being able to eat, so he, but he doesn't want to go soft around the edges, literally like some of the other ghosts in the castle have because he wants to get his revenge and he wants to Absolutely. stop being a ghost. So he works really hard on picking up physical objects and so he gets ghost buff. Yeah. Which Grebo notices. Oh, yeah. Of course, Grebo notices stuff like that, that weird cat. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll, cat. we'll learn more about why Grebo is interested in buff human bodies in his later appearances. <laughs> uh, when, when a year has passed and things have gotten a bit worse in the, in the country, um, after a year of rain from King Felmet, who just hates the place so mm-hmm. much, yep. there's a weird vibe going on. Yeah. And the, um, Pratchett doesn't use the term borrowing in this book for when Granny Weatherwax sends her consciousness out to mm. meet with other mostly animals' yeah. minds. But she does that in this book. It's not until the next – It's in fact, it's not until Lords and Ladies, which is a couple of witches' books after this, yeah. that she uses the I ain't dead sign. Yeah. Or I ain't dead, I should pronounce <laughs> it correctly. So I was a bit surprised. But, but she does do the thing, mm. which is how she makes contact with the mind that's really big. They can't figure out what it is. Uh, and when she asks the others, Nanny Og's like, right, there's only one way we're going to get to the bottom of this. Let's summon a demon. <laughs> Classic. In my memories of the witches was that they did hardly any, like, magical magic stuff. That's mm. the point of them. Like, they don't have to do it. People know they can, which is yeah. why they don't. Yeah. And, and so I was really surprised how much of it there is in this book. They it do all kinds of spells. The demon summoning scene is great. Because they don't go about it the proper way and he's offended and Magrat's a bit put off and there's soap flakes and they're in a yeah. bath, in a washroom. It's, mm-hmm. it's that recurring theme in Pratchett where he's like, well, look, he treats magic a bit like scientific stuff where there's an essence of the thing that you have to do and yeah. a lot of the pageantry is just people putting stuff on it that it doesn't need. Like when yeah. you can summon death using a bit of wood and five cc's of mouse blood, yeah. but usually people do all the candles and the wizards and stuff, mm. but the witches don't, don't bother with that nonsense yeah. either. They summon him and then he goes, they go, what's your name? He's like, oh, you wouldn't be able to say it in, in your tongue. And they're like, oh, try me. So shall we try? Um, yeah. Is, for me, uh, I think it's Rehertzel Jepudlitz. Oh, I believe it's pronounced Jif. <laughs> Actually, it's fur. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've been to Barcelona, so I know how to say it. <laughs> 
this is like the kind of name that the worst kind of Dungeons and Dragons player comes up with for their character and then forces everyone to say it correctly for oh the rest God. of the time that you play. <laughs> uh, but it's uh, okay, here we go. Uh, no, I don't think that's right. Why is it? Why did you do it in the Scottish accent? <laughs> well, because that's what Scottish sounds like to non-Scottish people. Well, if you're in Glasgow, in Edinburgh, it's all right. But if you're in Glasgow, you're like, I don't know that I can do better than that. It's very difficult. It remind you know who it reminds me of is um, Mr. Mutzelpluck from the Superman comics. Oh yeah, who's like an extra-dimensional character. He's like a tiny man in a purple suit with a purple bowler hat. He's not really a villain. He's just sort of a bit of a jerk. Oh, so he's rinse wound. And he's got a very... No. no. <laughs> How dare you? Uh, but he's got a very similarly unpronounceable name that's all X's and J's and Y's and Z's and no vowels. All right, I'm going to have a go. I'm going to choose to pronounce the X like a Mandarin because that I think would sound nice. It's Wuxi Ertl, Hertl, Jewel Pixlarge. Hmm? Whoa. Yeah. I think that's the best pronunciation I've ever heard of anything. Okay, I'm impressed. That was cool. You don't see a lot of demons no. in Discworld books. Yeah. And then he never really talks about where they come from either, like whether there's no. like a hell or if it's just they're from another dimension or something. But they do know things. Like mm. this demon knows things. And I love the three questions thing where they're like, thinking about the questions yeah yeah because like the genie where you get the three wishes and they're trying to trick you yeah. into wishing for something really bad by yeah. accident oh this and this is the great gag demons were like genies or philosophy professors if you didn't word things exactly right they delighted in giving you absolutely accurate and completely misleading answers yeah <laughs> yeah so they they summon the demon and the demon tells them what's going on yeah which is that the the kingdom has woken up. It's got a mind and it's like really unhappy about being mm. ruled by someone who just does not give a shit about it. And and it, I like that Margaret had previously described it as being a bit like a dog and it, Granny Weatherwax had sort of said something nice but had really kind of dismissed that. And then when they find out what's really going on, Margaret mm. goes, yeah, like a dog, doesn't care if its master's good or bad. It just wants its master to love it. And yeah. Like, mm. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> You were right all along, Margaret, like usual. Because she's a junior, she has to learn her place. She's like she's like the apprentice. Except she's not an apprentice anymore, is she? No, she was apprentice to Goody Wemper. She's a witch in her own right. She's just seen as young and foolish by the other witches. Well, they, and they do have sort of lines about how you have to, like, when you're the youngest, you have to do things like make the tea and do all that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, totally. She's like an intern. I mean, she is an intern pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's kind of her deal. Yeah. I love that the demon gets so put out by not being... He wants to be banished properly. Yeah. yeah. Like, it just makes me so happy. Can you hang up? I need yeah. you to hang up. <laughs> yeah. Can you just, um, just, I need to go back. If you don't that. say these specific words, I can't write this meaning off on tax. Like, yeah, can you just, okay. yeah. Can, you just, can we just talk about work for five minutes? Can I have the receipt, please? Yeah. Can I keep that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> After they've done that, that's when the kingdom sends the animals to mm. Granny Weatherwax's garden like, and mm. they all show up to really press on her. No, we're serious. You've got to do something about this. Yeah. But they're like, we're witches. We can't meddle in the politics. And there's this recurring theme where it's like if we start ruling by magic or if we mm. put someone on the throne through magic, then we'll have to keep doing more magic to keep things running yeah, properly. Absolutely. It's that interesting idea of using force to get your way, except mm. here it's distinguished between magical force and normal force that kings use. Or it's like if you get a smartphone, you can't go back to a non-smartphone because <laughs> your life has just shifted too far in that direction. Yeah. And then you're constantly <laughs> plugged into a wall 
So magic. <laughs> Are you saying this is a Black Mirror episode? Yes, this is exactly what I'm saying. It's all been a Black Mirror episode. I love that the witches are the ones that are all about keeping the balance, which is why they hate wizards so much. Because mm. the wizards just fuck shit up. They open holes. They like, stab they each other in through. corridors. Yeah, they like turn themselves into orangutans. Like, they just don't do anything that's good as far as the witches are concerned Mm. and also they're too much pomp and circumstance and as soon as a witch as well starts to mess with the balance it's a huge problem uh whereas wizards are always doing it it's more of a tinker than an intention Mm. um but as soon as someone messes with it with intention that's where it becomes a problem i love that and they do talk about that a bit with black alice who's referenced throughout this Mm. book as a witch who's made all the things and she's kind of like a an amalgamation of all like the the bad witches yeah. from all of the fairy tales. And they talk about how in the end she went a bit funny and she got shoved in her own oven by yeah. some kids. She's supposed to be this legend who went a bit funny from the power. And I yeah. think that's kind of what they're afraid of becoming. And there's also this whole thread of Granny Weatherwax heading that way. Yeah. And then coming back from the precipice. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's her constant battle is she's like this close to being evil. It's great in Witches Abroad to see basically what she's like if she was a bad guy, which is not a bad guy, but a bad guy, but a bad guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, mm. Anyway, it's a different book. But that's like, for me, that's the some of the beauty of Granny Weatherwax is that she's constantly skirting that line and s- heading over it sometimes slightly, but can always pull herself back. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because she really wants legacy and every like she's immune to being buttered up, they keep saying, but anytime, like when – Ghost Verence takes a knee to her. Like mm. she's, she very much wants the power and the recognition, but she wants to not want that. Exactly. I mean, this is interesting because I had a bit of a different read on Black Alice. Mm. I feel like she kind of went off the deep end towards the end of her life, but the role that she plays in those sort of fairy tale stories is a bit malleable. I don't think she's yeah. always the bad witch in them. No, I mean, it's just she slowly goes down. She doesn't pull herself back off the precipice. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, okay. So she's like aspirational up to a point. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Now that makes sense. Yeah. So I agree with you. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Phew. <laughs> uh, but we have a couple of other things that importantly happen at this stage in the story. One mm-hmm. of which is um, Verence enacts his plan, mm-hmm. which <laughs> is to capture Grebo in the castle. This yeah. is Dead King Verence, the ghost. Yeah. He captures Grebo in the castle by um, luring him into uh, a room and then using his buff ghost arms to close the door so he can't yeah. get out hoping that that will mean Nanny Og will come looking for him. Yeah. Mm. Uh, And then he can talk to a witch because witches can see ghosts. And that works. Mm -hmm. And Nanny gets captured Mm -hmm. and put into the torture chamber and Granny and and Magret have to come and meet him. Mm -hmm. Although before that happens, there's another important scene, which is where the fool and Magret meet for the first time in the meadow. And it is quite beautiful. It's, It's weird because we talked about in a couple of the previous books how the romances in them feel like the, there's he doesn't necessarily sell it it's just sort of these two people meet and they're destined to be in love mm. whereas i don't know in this book i feel like the fool and magra is like i'm into this i think this could be cool i got into it but there was a line that irked me early on which was that she wasn't bodacious in the way that the women he dreamed of were and then he sort of weighs up what he can achieve yeah. and so he's kind of like oh i'm a five and she's a five so i should stop dreaming of tens which i kind of was like "Mm, oh yeah that was kind of gross i reread that line several times because i was like 
is he saying what I think he's saying? Because it was very much that kind of, you know, like when guys on the internet are like, oh, I'm so woke. Like, I really like fat chicks. And you're like, dude. Mm-hmm. I love my thick wife. <laughs> oh, settle down. Just, like, just, just love someone. Don't think you deserve a cookie because you're loving somebody who doesn't fit like this narrow standard of beauty. But it also talks about how it's his libido thinking that rather than him consciously thinking that. Yeah, and I don't know that that makes it better. I that line irked me, but then I got past it because I think after that point, after that initial thing that let's just say society has done to him, yeah, he does genuinely fall for her. He respects her intellect. He just he genuinely seems to fall in love with every aspect of her, including that lovely scene where he's where she keeps being like, "Oh no, I I'm going to be washing my hair that night." So whenever yeah. you, he's like, "Oh, what night's free?" I'll be washing my hair, all of them. And then he eventually sets up a date and he's like, also there's a basin in case you want to wash your hair. Yeah, it's so cute. It's so cute. I came back around to him and them. Yeah. I think this is part of why I imagine her as Alice from the Vicar of Dibley. And I know, but you know, her, her partner, Hugo, I, they, for me, they're Alice and Hugo, like not that dumb, just that real kind of innocent, like, and that's always who they've reminded me of. And I don't know why. But I think that's perfect. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, there's that later scene where they're described as having a conversation and you don't really hear it, but it's described as the kind of conversation where people just stare at their feet and shuffle them a lot. Mm, and you're like, yeah. oh, it's mm. cute. Cute. They're like teenagers. Yeah. But then, you know, to get back to the A plot, Nanny's been kidnapped. And not a good idea. No, not a good idea. And it's bad news because after Margaret has met the fool for the first time mm. and when they all meet up before Nanny is captured, they have a big fight because, mm. you know, Nanny's poking a little bit of fun at her because she's like, oh, you, I see you've got a follower. Yeah. But And Margaret's a bit embarrassed and leaves and is like, can't believe you're making fun of me. And then... Nanny and Granny have a fight mm. about whether or not it's okay to encourage this. Yeah. Where Granny comes across very prudish. Yeah. And we find out in later books that, you know, Granny's had her own history of broken heart stuff yeah. going on. Like Poirot. So I'm just going to keep bringing her back to Agatha Christie characters. <laughs> I think that's all right. What is, I don't know about Poirot's broken heart. What's Poirot's broken heart? They do that more in the tv shows and movies because they can't accept the idea of someone going through life without giving a shit about love they do imply that he has a long lost love in a lot of the films and in the tv series he's got like a lady who just didn't work out and that's why in the tv show this david suchette one he has that little badge that he has Mm. flowers in because she she gave him that and he's got that throughout the show okay but i have yet to come across that in the books and i've read a lot of the books i love the nanny og Granny Weatherwax Diamond, also partially because I feel like Nanny Og is sometimes the boss. Mm. It's Esme, isn't it? She's Esme Weatherwax. Yeah, yeah. Esme and Gizzy. Yeah, I always got to think Esmeralda, but that's, that's too fancy. You know, she's always the established boss, but then quite often she concedes to Nanny Og, and that gives Nanny Og a kind of power that very few people have, if anyone. And I, I love that, And she, but she never uses it. Like yeah. Nanny Og has this power over Granny Weatherwax and she never ever uses it except to make fun of her, mm. which I think mm. is quite frankly the loveliest. And I love that there's someone that can make fun of Esme while saying, oh, I would never make fun of you. Like that kind of, it makes me, <laughs> it pleases me. It's a, it's a good, it's a good female friendship. Yeah. Mm. It's perfect. Yeah. Nanny Og has power that you know she doesn't wield with like a an iron fist. Mm. She just has it and people do what she wants because... She could. Yeah. Well, except yeah. when it comes to her daughters-in-law. Oh, yeah. Mm. She's real mean to them. <laughs> She's so mean to them. She reminds me of my um, my my partner's grandma. <laughs> She's a real matriarch and she's ended up with a family of boys, which she's not super into because she loves she she wanted some girls to continue the matriarchy. Uh, How does she treat you? 
She loves me. Oh, good. <laughs> good. <laughs> She's not as friendly as Nanny Og, though. She's a Nanny Og, Granny Weather Wax hybrid. Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, that's kind of the best of both worlds, yeah. I yeah, feel. Yeah, not too bad. That would be the ultimate witch, yeah. I think. But this is, you know, once Nanny's been captured and she gets rescued i mean that's quite a tense scene because it's also when the tensions in the kingdom are coming to mm. a head the people are starting to revolt he's burning down people's houses and you're not even letting them get out of the house first yeah. like the old kings yeah. did oh he's yeah. do it to show they care but this one is his heart's not in it yeah yeah it's just... he just hates us yeah. yeah and there's a crowd gathering at the mm. castle when the witches get there to rescue nanny og who is being tortured but is pretty much okay yeah and she's met the king the yeah. ghost king I love the bit where they're playing I Spy in the torture chamber. It's very cute. Also, you know, Nanny O is a kinky lady. She's got a closet full of things. This is nothing to her. (laughs) Yeah, you do get that impression. I mean, she doesn't know what any of the torture devices are called, but she doesn't seem, yeah, at all phased by any of them. 50 Shades of Gither. Like... My favorite is when like the Duchess is trying to like loom over her and she's like, look at all our torture devices. This is going to be you. And then she goes, what's that big pointy chest in the corner? And the Duchess is all like, oh, that's the Iron Maiden. And she like gets cut off halfway sentence while Nanny Og goes, oh, can I, can I have a go on that? (laughs) (laughs) The Duchess doesn't know how to react. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love it scene so much. Um, There's the whole thing with the guards when they're both Magra and Granny Weatherwax pretend to be an apple seller. Because it's traditional. It's traditional for mm. witches and then Margaret does her big bit of magic for the book mm. where she like makes the wooden door that's barred for the torture chamber remember that it's a tree and grow mm. and burst out of its spot but she overdoes it a bit and the whole thing goes explodes into leaves and stuff it's, that's really cool mm. yeah the way they use magic is very nice like in the most low cost way as well like yeah mm. i'm not going to explode this door by just throwing fire at it i'm just going to explode this door by using its own energy against itself which mm. is kind of a, a nice kind of uh almost a jedi kind of biznatch <laughs> and a good contrast to the wizards yeah, exactly like i think the witches are constantly contrasting the wizards which is, i also like i feel like terry pratchett has a really lovely respect for women because they've always been the sensible ones, mm. you know, they only got to be sensible. Like men got to go off and study science and, you know, make things and have do important things and women had to stay in the towns and, and keep things running. And I feel like he's really championed that aspect of, of women's lives like back in the day. And it is pleasantly contrasted in how like – Wizards have to be the eighth son, this whole mm. thing, whereas the older witches go down and go, that's a good young girl. I'll, oh, I'll train that one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they do still say that like witchcraft finds you rather than the other way around. Mm. Yeah. But I think that part of that process is the witches identifying, oh, you yeah, know, you've got the aptitude for this. You can mm. do this. Yeah. It's just sensible, like with Tiffany aching. Um, you know, she makes cheese and they're like, mm, that's a sensible, cheese is sensible. Like that's, you know, and she's just practical, sensible. And that's how, you know, you're a witch because you're excessively practical. So they release her from the dungeon. Yes. They do release her, but the King Felmet still has kind of the upper hand, even mm. though he's been totally freaked out by seeing the ghost. And Nanny Og has recounted exactly what happened when yeah. he was murdered because the ghost has told her. Does Felmet see the ghost or does he see the dagger move? He sees the dagger move. That's be- right. But because he- ghosts can only be seen, like is an important point, by witches, by cats, by death mm-hmm. and by close relatives. Because the Duke is a cousin, he's not closely yeah. related enough. Yeah. And presumably not a first cousin. Yeah. No. Although, well, he is next in line if all the kids are gone. Well, I mean, royalty is also closely related as well. Isn't that why so much haemophilia is through the royal family from Queen Victoria? 
Yeah, totally. She yeah. was a carrier, but now, now not so much. Now they're diversifying nicely. Mm. Um, but yeah, well, like in the real world now, uh, it seems like on the Discworld, there's no necessity for royalty to marry mm. other royalty. No. Mm. Like mm. you never find out where Lady Felmet's family is from. I mean, no. presumably she is from some kind of mm. royalty as well. She is fancy. Like, yeah. Mm. Yeah, royalty seems kind of like they're important, but the people could tell them that they're not important at any time. You know we don't need you. Mm. But we like this. If we don't want it to work this way, we we could stop it, but we do want it like this. So yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll keep you there. Mm. And there's that feeling too that people just don't want to be bothered with all of that stuff mm. about government. Someone's got to organise that the roads get built and maintained, but mm. we don't want to have to do that. That's your job. You're the king. Yeah. If we had to vote on this every four years, that would be too Ugh. much effort for us. <laughs> like we don't want to bother. The cows? Plus Nanny Og <laughs> yeah. would just choose because yeah. she is in oh, charge yeah. of half the town. So. That's true. <laughs> That's true. They'd all be asking the witches who they should vote for yeah. and then they'd be meddling every time. Yeah. But, yeah, well, they, they escape from, from the place and Felmet, who's gone, like, properly nuts now, mm. having the encounter with the ghost, even though he can't see it, yeah. really, like, makes something snap in his brain. Yeah. And he becomes obsessed with getting rid of the witches but also Washing becomes a bit hands. more unhinged. <laughs> yeah, he does that. It gets worse and worse through the book as well. Like, yeah. and by the end where he falls off the castle yeah. trying to hang on with his ruined hand, yeah. I was like, how much of it can be left? Well, even yeah, scouring it off and things. Like yeah. It, yeah, because he, like, gets a cheese grater that, and a file. Yeah. And, yeah, it's just gross. It's like so I'm, visceral. <laughs> and yeah, it, I can't do all this. And mm. all, all Pratchett has to do is tell you what implement he's going to use next. He never yeah. describes him actually blood, doing it. And it's like, oh, it's his blood. What? Oh, As they leave, he has this sort of clarity of mad kingness mm. where he's like, I know you can't do this by magic yeah. because I know how you work. So you're going to have to just put up with it. And he leans into propaganda by being, okay, so what's the minority we can focus our hatred on so that no one notices how bad the government is? Mm. Oh, yes, witches. Oh, yeah, they're the reason people can't go out to dinner. Mm. Scared. (laughs) All the problems you've ever had. That's what he's trying to do, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, that's 100% what he's trying to do. Oh, my God, he – Canon, he's Peter Dutton. Oh, God. Peter Dutton is the Minister for Home Affairs in the currently conservative Australian government. He recently claimed that people in Melbourne were afraid to go out at night because of African gangs, which would be true if A, people were afraid to go out at night, and B, there were any African gangs. He's exactly the sort of person Sam Vimes would struggle not to murder at one of Sybil's dinner parties. But it's just all through history. It's like, where can we shift the blame so that no one notices the actual yeah. bad stuff? Yeah, and but and it's two prongs because it's that, but it's also, and I know they're the only ones who could get rid of me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to discredit them to make sure they don't have the power yeah. to do that. And aided and abetted by the fool who sees his job as to be loyal yeah. to the king. Like that's part of his job. Mm-hmm. And so when they're asking him for advice, one of the main bits of advice he gives them is that words can be more powerful than magic. Mm-hmm. But it's also strategic because he doesn't want them to just go straight up do a bunch of violence. Yeah. Mm. So it's the lesser of two evils, I think, that he's moving them towards because there's more potential to save lives yeah. with words. Yeah. When we first meet him uh, earlier in the book when he's like eating in the kitchens, mm-hmm. he's like really smart about something yeah. and the cooks look at him a bit suspiciously going, yeah. what did you say? And then he like goes, marry pretty uncle, I know nothing. And it's uh, it's kind of hilarious. <laughs> and then you have the horror flashbacks to his time training as a fool and oh. yeah. the grandfather who just like yells at him for making off 
book jokes and like yeah. <laughs> well we visit the fool's guild in men at arms which is many books after this it really puts that in perspective yeah because that just seemed kind of sad and awful yeah. whereas when you hear about what actually goes on it just sounds horrendous he like, talks about how they sort of jealously listen to the children playing in the assassin's guild next door yeah and they do that line with like Every few months there were less voices as exams came round, but they still sounded happy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. I love the guild. I love the guild system. I love everything about it. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorites. There's so much of it in the wash. In the the wash? The watch. In the wash is the the demon. Um. (laughs) (laughs) His name you said so wonderfully earlier on. They get out of the castle. They almost get run over by a cart, and that is the last straw for Granny Weatherwax. Like someone (laughs) did not go around them in yeah. the middle of the road because the world moves around her like mm. that is how it it travels yeah and mm. for and for all witches yeah but not today mm. um and then she does her like one bit of really blatant magic where she just points at the cart and there's like a flare of octarine fire and all uh-huh. the wheels just fall off yeah and you're like yeah <laughs> you deserve that you jerk and that's how you know she could turn evil at any minute mm. yeah oh yeah and they have to they have to calm her down and in fact she does that after they calm her down yeah so who knows what she would have done if they hadn't calmed yeah. her down we turned him into an exploding frog or something i don't mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. or into a swamp dragon so then the exploding mm. is done by himself oh, oh poor Using headology there that would be a very witchy <laughs> thing to do yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's when she hits upon her grand plan, mm-hmm. which is just like Black Alice uh, didn't put a castle to sleep for 100 years. She just sort of nudged it through time 100 yeah. years in the future. Uh, she's going to send the whole kingdom 15 years in the future so that Tom John is old enough to come back because they, yeah. they're like, well, we can't meddle too explicitly, but if if we could wait until he's old enough to come back and take the kingdom for himself, yeah. that'd be great. But we can't do that like because that's 15 years of reign of this psycho. Yeah. We can't deal with that. We're going to have to accelerate things. And so she just shoves the whole kingdom and it's this massive feat of magic. And I think Mm. Pratchett does a really good job of selling how big a deal that is. Mm. And it's such a great scene where they're flying around on the broomsticks and, you know, her, um, her broomsticks falling out of the sky and Nanny Og saves her. Yeah. I love the big feats of magic whenever they happen in Pratchett books because Mm. they're always so grand and, but also so there's a real begrudgingness to having to put that much effort in as well, mm, like yeah. especially with Granny Weatherwax. She could always be this powerful and she doesn't like exerting that power. While this is happening, can you just imagine Death sitting amongst his hourglasses going, what is happening? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That yeah. would be horrendous for him. Like suddenly like sands just go, or they just pause like yeah. for 15 years of relative time. But then again, he lives outside of time, so... But like the hourglasses yeah. surely are in proportion to one another. It's like some of the other ones keep running out for 15 years worth of time and yeah. then all of the ones in Lancaster sort of just stop for 15 years yeah. worth of time. Because yeah. he would have a schedule and he'd be like, oh, I'm supposed to go to Lan- no, no Lanka for 15 years. That's, oh, well, I guess okay. I'd go fishing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there can't be any significant deaths. It's not like he wouldn't have other things to do, I suppose. Yeah, but it just. <laughs> but still, yeah, weird. Mm, yeah, weird. weird times. But awesome. And meanwhile, Magrat and, and the Fool are having their little Their 15-year kiss. Yeah, that's so <laughs> great. Like, they kiss for the first time and it technically goes for 15 years and two months. It's like, yeah, that's it's awesome. Very sweet. Mm. 
I like how it says no frog ever kissed this long because there's this yeah. repeated line mm. of people asking the witches, will I turn into a frog if I kiss you? The other thing I really love about this magic is that this is another time when Nanny Og really saves the day. Yeah, of course. Because they're like, we're not going to have enough time to do it. We have to do it before the cock crows. Granny's like just getting on with it and going, oh, we've just got to hurry. we just got to hurry. And how many cockerels are there anyway? Nanny's like sitting back smugly. Yeah, I counted them. I got my children on it. <laughs> just like strangling or like knocking out all the cockles in the kingdom so that they don't crow and they've got a bit of extra time. Yeah. And she doesn't say anything about it. She's just sort of laughing silently to herself because of how clever she's been. Yeah. And she doesn't let on. Like Granny realizes she's done something but doesn't really know what it is. Like if yeah. she wanted to mobilize an army, she could probably take on the patrician. Oh, she'd be terrified. She'd be as terrifying as Granny but for different reasons if yeah. she yeah. went bad. Which is why people always pay so much respect to Nanny Og, particularly, mm. and yeah. and obviously Granny Way the Wax. But have they have they met the patrician? That's happened, hasn't it? Uh, I, I don't, don't know, know that they've Ooh. met him. They might meet him in like masquerade or or something. Yeah. But they certainly haven't at this stage. Mm. He knows who he needs to talk to correctly. Yeah. He's aware. He's oh, a yeah. very smart man. He's mm. also he knows one of my score. favorite characters. Score being because veterinary chooses to read sheet music rather than listen to it. That removes the chance of human error. They do the spell and uh, the whole kingdom goes 15 years in the future. Thankfully, just before the fool leaves, he and Magra have a fight because after their kiss, he reveals he's going off to Ankh-Morpork to recruit the best playwright in the world yeah. to write this play, mm. which is going to retell the history of the kingdom and tell everyone that Velmet is not a foul murderer, uh, which is a great plan. And yeah. of course, lifted straight from Hamlet. Yeah. Well, more, not straight from, but more or less. Mm-hmm. And he goes off and she's like, Why don't be don't do this? And he's like, I have to do it. Like it's part of the job. And if I'm gonna do the job, I've got to do it right. And she's like, You don't even like the job. <laughs> he's like, But I, it's my only thing that I know how yeah. to do. And then you don't see him again until he's getting viciously mugged. Yes, because we <laughs> transfer to Ank Morpork. And that's the best introduction to Ank Morpork you need in a book. Yeah. Yes. This character that you enjoy that just jangles merrily and is sad about his lot in life. He's being mugged, but legally. Legally mugged. Well, we get all the stuff with Well and Tom John. Oh, this is where like, their stories drinking. are dissect. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we get Tom John's speech in mm. the pub when there's going to be a fight. Oh, well, there is a fight starting because the librarian's there. And there's all these people insulting Well, like calling him very like racist dwarf mm. names. Uh, and That's that doesn't right. kick Lord off a fight because Well's like, I'm not going to fight. I'm a playwright. I don't know how to fight. And it even talks about how, you know, dwarves usually are pretty strong, but he's been holding a quill instead of an axe for so yeah. long. And then... The same guy who's insulting him calls the librarian a monkey. Yeah. And then that's it. It's on. This is back when I think, because Ank Morpork used to be so racist. People from Uberwald and other places only really started coming in later and golems and ghouls and all sorts of like fun things. I've got a question about the librarian, actually, because they talk repeatedly about how Magrat wants to look more like a witch, but as they've said in sorcery as well, mm. magical beings resist magic happening to them, their yeah. appearance. Yeah, this is so, like the first time that's explicitly stated. So is the librarian then not a wizard? Because if he can stay an, an orangutan all this time, does that mean he's just a normal man who happens to work at the university? Because surely if he was a wizard, his body would be like, oh, no, magic's happening, we'll, we'll undo this. This monkey business. Yeah. Well, we had a similar question about this in sorcery because the wizards do like kill mm. each other and, and they often get transformed into weird shapes as they die. And we were like, well, surely that's not permanent, but maybe it lasts long enough to kill them. Mm. And we were not sure whether it was only that magical creatures can't alter themselves, but it did seem to be like anything that was inherently magical is harder to affect with magic yeah. than things that aren't. Because yeah. the librarian was transformed by an explosion? 
There's a spell gone awry. A spell gone there's awry. There's all the weird stuff happening in like Fantastic where there's like major spells going all over the shop. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then he just kind of liked it. Yeah. Because he, he was a librarian before, wasn't he? Like, yeah. It's been a while since I read him, but he. Um... As a human, he was a librarian. Although you don't, you, you barely meet him before he yeah. gets turned into an orangutan. And I don't think you even find out his name. No. Um, so it's, yeah. I feel like the librarian becomes a little more witchy. In his orangutanness, because instead of like using magic the way wizards do, which is you know just with abandon and whatever, uh, he just kind of moves in between it. He's kind of like Tai Chi's <laughs> magic, and because it doesn't affect him, I think it affects him even less now that he's an orangutan. I think that he's a bit a bit witchy would be my yeah. Or becoming an orangutan stopped him from being a wizard because they always talk about how his brain changed, how his yeah. priorities changed. Maybe he. I, you know, I think what it is is that Pratchett sees librarian as like another kind of thing. Yeah. So there's like witches and wizards and librarians. Yeah. And librarians are not inherently magical themselves, but they have this great understanding of the magic of books. Yeah. And I think, I yeah, I think that's where it comes from. So I don't think he was a wizard. And it's like you were saying. He was saying, a librarian. A yeah. while ago, when we discussed this a little while back, Rincewind is the deputy librarian, but that's because he's crap at magic, isn't it? Mm, so, yeah. Yeah. So I um, took that a bit off track, but we've got the big bar fight and then yes. we get Tom John stands up, does his speech and shows just how good an actor he Such is. Such a good actor. And how good a king he might be if he applied these talents because he mm. just stopped everyone in their tracks from fighting and, well, who knows this will wear off because the magic of books, magic of theatre does wear off eventually even if it's the best in the world. They quickly use that opportunity to get out. Yeah. No, I think there's a real distinction between Tom John and Carrot. Because mm. Carrot, when he talks to a group, they, you know, they all listen to him, they're riveted, and mm. he, he gives an okay speech, but he's not a great orator. He just says what he means. He's and got people, a very good aura. Yeah, they listen to him because they they in some way they instinctually or genetically or however it works on the well, there's probably Kingons coming out of him, um, <laughs> yeah. as we've discussed in a previous episode. That's Kingons, not Klingons. People can just tell he's a rightful royal he's he's a king Mm -hmm. whereas tom john i don't think has that no i think it's just that he is an almost magically good actor because Mm. of the blessings he's been given by the witches and also you know his own talent and upbringing yeah he's just that good and he can be whoever he thinks he is and that means that he completely embodies any role that he plays yeah to the state where people forget that he's acting and they believe him carrot would be a better king because he's more genuinely king-like but if tom john wanted to be king i feel like the ability to do speeches and move people even briefly would be a valuable asset if he had good no-face men behind him pulling yeah. the actual strings yeah whereas carrot could do it all himself and yeah look, and as we'll find out at the end of the book he doesn't want to do it and i think it's mm. partly because he doesn't want to really be king because then he's just one thing forever yeah. yeah and that's part of the magic of being an actor is you yeah. get to be you know it's like when people say i'm not a doctor but i played one on tv and it's yeah. like that's funny but also yeah you do like you get to be kind of be a doctor and kind yeah. of be a burglar and kind of be a superhero whatever, or whatever. you want. Yeah. Whereas I feel like the difference with carrot is carrot would be the king if he has to be. Yeah. Like mm. this is this is I and mean, I think this is agreement with um Vetinari is that absolutely if he stood up and something went wrong with Vetinari and he had to stand up for Ant Mortpork, he would. But for right now, there's someone doing a great job of it and he needs to be where he is mm. and he's happy with his life there. Yeah. Um, but he he would take it if he had to, whereas I feel like Tom John uh, just doesn't want it full stop. Yeah. yeah Carrots the silly is all clear of Ankh Morpork. He just like plugs the gaps where it needs to yeah. be done. But yeah. 
And Vimes' influence has really rubbed off on him too. Absolutely. So he's like, I don't think there should be a king unless you absolutely need one. Yeah. It would have to be the people wanting the king. Yeah. For good reasons mm. for him to do it. But we get that great speech. And then as they're leaving the bar, mm. that's when they run into the fool being mugged. Yeah. Wow. But legitimately mugged. Like he's got a receipt and everything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is for, I like this because it's the first time we properly see the Thieves Guild in action. Yeah. Like they've been described a few times previously, but this is how it works. Oh, and when they freak out when they see how much money he's got, they're like, oh, this is too, we've robbed him for too much money. Like it's not going to work. Like I'm, it's above my pay grade. Yeah. Right? We thought oh, he'd tax. have like, yeah. Oh. oh. And then so in the end, Tom John makes a profit off the thieves from legal fees. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like he imagines himself as being a lawyer. He yeah, gets into yeah. that role and you're like, yeah, this is great. Um, and that's and that's when the two plots crash into each other. Mm-hmm. The Fool hires well to write a play and come perform it and they decide they're going to tour on the way. Even though this interrupts their plans for building their very own theatre, their Shakespearean theatre called The Disc. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was reading up about this and the original Globe Theatre was actually in the shape of an octagon. Huh. Mm. Kind of like the octagon theatre at um, University of WA. Yeah, 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 that's what I said. I love not the dumbing down of Shakespeare, but the the making fun of Shakespeare in this because mm. I think what people forget because Shakespeare became is this now sort of Shakespeare. It was the art of the people. Like Shakespeare mm. wasn't writing for fancy people; he was writing stories about royalty to make fun of them. It was in the old accent used to be. I don't know if you've ever heard Shakespeare done in like a, oh, the, yeah. the proper accent that's supposed to be done. And it's not well, I'm Hamlet, and but it's like really English country yarp narp kind of that sort of business. So I love that um, Pratchett kind of plays around with the fanciness of Shakespeare in this, and he makes fun of it, and it tickles me. Yeah. Shakespeare was pretty much the king of dick jokes. Like yeah, everything is a dick joke. Yeah, in Shakespeare. One, I did also look up the globe and it, it's closed and started like Puritans and all sorts of stuff shut yeah. it down. But it burnt down one time mm-hmm. and I read up on it. It was because a cannon that was part of the effects misfired and there's very few surviving documents about it. But when it went up in flames, they said the only injury was to a man who had flaming breeches, which was put out with ale. <laughs> Perfect. That sounds like a Pratchett story. Like, yeah. Straight away. <laughs> But you know, you know when when you read about things like you know it's called the disc and the the way the playwrights were and the way they act out the plays and the relationships. You know he's read so much and done so much research on all of that, which I think is something that a really good satirist does is they know everything about the thing that they're making fun of. That way, like once you have all the information, you can pull it apart and take the things that are relevant. And I think that mm. that's what's very brilliant about this. I totally agree. And and also just that I love that he doesn't just pull in Shakespeare either because mm. there's that idea uh, from the previous book, Sorcery, that he introduces of the inspiration particle mm. that is what gives people ideas. Yeah. And he talks about in this book how Huel has got a massive like receptor for these mm. inspiration particles and they just hit him all the time. So yeah. he has all these like, too many ideas. Mm. And clearly a lot of those ideas are from our world. Yeah. And they don't quite work in a Discworld mm-hmm. context like when he's trying to write Laurel and Hardy mm. or <laughs> the Marx Brothers or... Um, a couple of other things as it was well. Like who's on first kind of joke bit as well. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. like, there needs to be another person, but what can they say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. And then there's the bit that he saves, like when he's trying to write the play with the witches in it. That's mm. basically like a mashup of the witches from Macbeth and Waiting for Godot. <laughs> the witches are just standing there on the heath. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. so weird. I love it. And I did like, yeah, the allusions to being a writer. And I was wondering if any of that was insight into how Pratchett was as a writer, just like ideas thrown out all over the place, or if that was his idea of Will Shakespeare as a writer. Because there are lots of ideas you go, this is great. I'm writing this down. I'm going to. 
I'm going to do so well with this. And the next morning you're like, what have I done? What paper have I wasted? What yeah, was I thinking? <laughs> pretty much all my comedy notes. Like I'll just like, well, because quite often I, I'm quite a bad sleeper and I'll suddenly think of something and write a note and it's like seven glasses of milk and then some sprinkles. I don't know what that is. Like, it does sound like a Clara Cupcake show, though. Yeah, actually, I think I've probably got some, like... Oh, I'd love to hear some. I've definitely got some here for my um my new show. <clears throat> yeah. The Sheep Goes Bar Chicka Bar Bar. It's <laughs> great. You know how you pretend to be a lizard person on dates? Do that. Um, <laughs> the Shame You Feel About Loving Doing Tax. Oh, I've got one in my ideas that's very, very misspelled, sent at four in the afternoon for some reason. Mm-hmm. A horror movie for the avian community called The Humans. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> it's very right a thing to do to keep ideas that don't quite work in case, yeah. just in case they can't, and they never do. Yeah. They never do. Like I've kept whole scenes from like episodes of Night Terrace, which is the audio drama that I've written with the other Splendid Chaps, just like, oh, no, I'll reuse that. I'll use that in another episode. Yeah. No, I've never done that. I, yeah. I've, I should just throw them away and start again. And and really that's what I'm doing, but it gives you that sort of sense of security to keep these little bits as if you're going to run out of ideas, and that, which is that, that thing where people are always worried about where ideas come from. And you're like, it doesn't matter where they come from because they keep coming. Like they always have more ideas. Yeah. Like throw them away. They've been, the fool has offered them a bunch of money mm-hmm. to put on this play, yep. go to Lanka and do it. And Tom John thinks, oh, we may as well do a tour. We'll take some of the younger apprentice actors. We'll tour yeah. through the countryside, end up here. While Hurl writes this play, we'll do some of our other things. Yeah. And his adopted father, and I don't think he knows he's adopted at this point, Yeah, is kind of all mm. sad about it because he's like, he's not coming back. I know he's going back to yeah. where he was born and there's this force of destiny. He's not going to. Yeah. Come back. So there was a sad parting of ways and they start doing all these plays and it's a way of showing how impressive Tom John is in all these roles because the senior actors aren't there. Well starts letting him do roles that you have to be over 40 to play and yet he completely embodies them. Of course he does. And, he's, and so we're seeing how good he is at this and as they finally get towards Lanker, they've lost their way. Mm. And they have to get directions from the witches who traditionally are dressed as humble wood collectors who have strategically scattered themselves (laughs) among Mm -hmm. the place to to direct them. So yeah, I love it so much how they get increasingly suspicious as they meet yet another uh, humble wood Wood collector. (laughs) And the the young, young superstitious actors are like, oh, um, if you meet a humble wood collector, you're supposed to offer them half your lunch. What have we got? Uh, Pork sandwiches? Oh, makes me all gassy they yeah. keep turning down these uh, except nanny og who's like yeah i'll have all of that you got any beer <laughs> you're like yes nanny og. Uh, oh and she pulls out her tobacco pouch and goes does anyone have a light and all these people offer her one she goes great does anyone have any tobacco <laughs> <laughs> yes. but yeah i actually i've got a question about them getting lost at the end now, yeah were they getting lost was there something magic going on there i was not quite clear about why they were so lost the witches talk about how they have to help him find the place, but I wasn't really clear on why is it so hard to get to Lanka? Uh, I mean, Quell's been there before. He should potentially remember the way, but even if he doesn't, like, it's just a place. They have a whole thing about the trees moving in the town over, but it seems like nature will be working with them to get them there mm. because it doesn't want the other guy as king. But so I wonder if it's also an effect of the time change. I was going mm. to say, like, maybe, like, the paths look a little different, any cans that are there have fallen down, or they've changed a little bit, the trees are bigger. 
Is it just so they've kind of spread up the world around Lanka? That's kind of the deal, right? Because Lanka yeah. stayed the same. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, they've just sort of persuaded time in Lanka to stop. I have a question about this. Yeah. Only because Nanny Og has so many relatives and a lot of them don't live in Lanka. Or like some of them do, but quite a few of them don't. So does that mean that she's got like sons and daughters out in the world that have suddenly gotten much older? Yeah. Yeah, they must do. Like the ones in Ankh-Morpork because she talks about how she wants to go there because... Her, one of hers married an innkeeper, so they'd be 15 years older now. Yeah, she's got, and the baby would be 15 years old. Well, now she's just got more grandkids. She's probably yeah. happy about it. She yeah. probably yeah. enjoys that. She didn't have to deal with the baby stage. Yeah. Um, but just, yeah, just a thought, because I know she's the only one that talks about having family mm. outside of Lanka. Mm. And they never sort of address what happens to anyone who was trying to go to Lanka during that 15 years. Yeah, exactly. Do they Can they just not find it? Which is maybe uh, what I thought was maybe like a residual effect of yeah. the time is that maybe something's moved, something's shifted, and they that's what and people couldn't find Lanka for such a long time that it kind of got a little bit lost in general. Mm. It's probably like how muggles can't find the Triwizard tournament because they keep remembering they've forgotten the stoves on at home. Yeah. Like magic just turns <laughs> them away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, I need to go to Lanka, but oh no, I've actually no, I'll do that later. So. Yeah. Yeah. But that was I that was cool. That's a good question. Mm. But yeah, I think I think mostly it's the witches sort of feeling like they have to get involved. Mm. There's that sort of vibe. Yeah. I mean, it, however they get lost, that's sort of what happens. But then yeah. they, they show up and it's time to go to the castle. And he's real dismissive of Lanker, like the promised king. He's kind of like, oh, well, it's small and I don't like it. Even though Naniog took, took in the scenic route, mm-hmm. he's just very unimpressed with it. Yeah, he's he's more like, oh, well, I guess this is the job we got paid to do. And yeah. then we'll go home and tour and then we'll have our cool theatre and we can do cool plays. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't put it like that. He's not a jerk, but, you know. <laughs> he's not like, oh, look at this shithole town. He's got a life plan and he's just... Why would any shithole people come here? <laughs> Oh no, yeah. <laughs> he is not like that. But, but, uh, imagine if they wrote. I can just imagine like well writing a satire, and it's about some you know really rich guy with weird hair, and he doesn't know where it's come from. Oh god, <laughs> that'd be terrible. Also, it's probably worth noting that the play has not been going down well with test audiences. Oh, the yeah. one that they've been because it's missing to something, do. right? Yeah, this, this is an element that doesn't quite work. So yeah. the play that's supposed to be the propaganda against the witches hasn't gone down well yeah. in other towns. And he keeps rewriting it and rewriting it and yeah. Well's never happy with it. He mm. just yeah. can't quite get it right in a, in a way that's different to the other plays that he can't quite get right. And I love those sort of examples of dialogue from it where there's bits where he's quite, like there's a bit that's like a pantomime mm-hmm. where he's written it in Shakespearean sort of words and then um, crossed out the equivalent of um, he's behind you. Oh, no, he isn't. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> And he's changed the title like six times and mm. crossed out bits of the title. But and this is kind of where in the end game now. This is the pointy end of the plot where it all comes together, which is good because I feel like we've talked about this the last couple of books. The ending has felt quite rushed. Mm. And I think some elements of the ending of this feel a little bit rushed, but much less so than in Mort or in Sorcery, where everything's kind of wrapped up very neatly, very quickly in the last few pages. Whereas here we, um, we sort of get the lead up to putting the play on itself. Yeah. In Hamlet, the play comes about, you know, three-fifths of the way through the thing, whereas here it is the climax of the whole thing. It's been leading up to this because it's the bad king's plan. It's not the hero's plan to put the play on. Mm. So we have to figure out how it's going to go wrong. But there's so many cool things about when the play is on. 
Uh, one of my favourites is uh, when Death shows up and meets the actor who's playing Death. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and when Tom John is trying to give him notes on how to play Death and he yeah. does Death's voice perfectly because oh. he's such a good actor. And it's actually it's one of the best lines in the book. It's when he's asking him to do the voice and Tom John says, I have come to get you, you terrible actor. You um, terrible actor. <laughs> so is there, there's an act, they're all male acting troupe, is that right? Yes. yes. Is there a sneaky secret female? No. Okay, I am thinking of a different thing. Uh, but um, there's a guy that always plays the women, right? Is yeah. it one guy? They did a switcheroo in a bit, though, because one time um, Tom John was playing her and, like, everyone fell in love with him and then yeah. they feel a bit sort of weird about him being a guy. And, yeah. But that was just a... Yeah, yeah. so that was that as But well. they do refer to... I think it's Young Willikens who yeah. plays mm. the... Uh, the all the women, but yeah, we get the play. We get to the play, mm. and it's all on. Um, three evil witches on on stage, and everyone hates them. And yeah. this is when the date that you mentioned earlier happens, where mm-hmm. the fool sets up the basin for mm-hmm. Margaret so she can wash her hair. <laughs> um, but she's not really interested in the date because she's more interested in the play. And the fool does not know, as the witches do, that Tom John is the rightful heir, come back mm. hopefully to claim the throne. Mm-hmm. And the guards have been told in the castle to arrest the witches but they accidentally arrest the actors playing the witches in the play. Perfect. <laughs> and the witches end up on stage. And this is during the intermission when the arrests happen, when Tom John ends up face-to-face with King Verence the Ghost, except yeah. not really. Like, they're in the same room. They should be interacting, mm. but they're not. He doesn't really see him. That's and that right. is important later. That is important. There's a couple of nice lines of foreshadowing in this book. Yeah. Mm. Like there's one right at the start. There's one a bit later. There's a lot of little clues. And I feel like Pratchett treads a really nice fine line, giving you enough clues to know that something is going on. Mm. The first time I read it, I think it was a bit of a surprise to yeah. me what happens at the end. But when I found out, it made perfect sense. And I Absolutely. think that's the kind of where you want it to be. You don't want it to be too obvious. And you don't want it to be mm. too obscure. Because you don't realise they haven't told you the fool's name for like half the book. Yeah. And, and then... Uh, yeah, and then Magrat finds out what with it is. With her apple weird love spell thing, yeah. <laughs> and then she doesn't even say what it is at the time. Yeah. It's not until she's talking to him quite a bit later mm, and she yeah. uses his name and he's like, how did you know my name? Mm. And then they don't mention it again. Yeah. But it's it's really good. Um, mm. And that's when death ends up on stage and everybody does see him because they're, they're expecting to see death. Yeah. And he gets stage fright, he and it's so adorable. Oh, <laughs> bless oh, death! And Tom John has to prompt him with, with how to talk as death, and it's just very charming. Uh, and then the play sort of goes off the rails. But the play goes off the rails in the way that the play moves itself to being what it was supposed to be yeah, all along. It becomes the thing. Yeah, it's supposed to be. The story is resisting the changes that Felmet wants to make to it. Mm. Yeah, it's like no, there is a real story here, and Felmet thinks he's make he can make the story whatever he wants, mm. but. You know, as is so often the case on the Discworld, narrative has a will and a force of its own Mm. and the story wants to be told the right way. And it's being influenced by probably the kingdom's desires as well. Exactly. Meanwhile, the witches are kind of like, we're here to do a plan, but also... This fire looks real fake up close. Let's yeah. talk about that instead of doing that. <laughs> yeah, they keep talking about how there's this gross gunk in the bottom of the fake cauldron. and Yeah, it's great. So they just completely go off message. Yeah. Oh, but they love that. Yeah. And they start telling the real story of what happened. It sort of just comes out through the spirit of the play, yeah. infecting the And the, the dialogue. land and mm. the castle. And they tell the real story of how Lady Felmet persuaded Duke Felmet to stab the king. I just went to call him Mr. Felmet. Yeah, Mr. Felmet. <laughs> Because <laughs> a lot of Pratchett villains are a mister, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, well, they, aren't all the assassins misters? Yeah. Mm. yeah. It's kind of like a surgeon used to be yeah. a mister instead of a doctor. I still are. I still mm. are. That's mm. true. Yeah. So that all comes out and King Felmet's like, this is not okay. Where did all this come mm. from? 
you can't prove any of this is true. Nobody saw it, mm. which is the climactic moment when we find out someone did indeed see it. It was the fool. He was there all along, <gasps> which is quite a reveal. And I think actually, I just, I know I just said that he did a good job of putting the pieces together before yeah. it happens, but there's no clue that the fool was there Yeah, in none of his internal dialogue or any of the things that he says to anyone else. Does he ever give a hint that he's remaining loyal to this king, mm. even though he knows he murdered the previous king? Yeah. My thought was that the fool didn't see it. But he knows he did it because of everything he's found out subsequently. So he came out and goes, I saw it when he didn't. That's how I read it. Ooh. But I could be wrong. Because that's his way of breaking free of the loyalty thing. But I could have missed some words because I was reading it very quickly. Because it could be either way in my mind. Storyline-wise, yeah. it's very possible he didn't see it. But he knows. The way he says it, I get the feeling he was there and he did see it. Mm. I mean, I, that's why I think happened. But I, I like that it's open to interpretation. They don't explicitly... Mm. tell you maybe that was intentional maybe maybe Pratchett didn't put in any real clues that the fool was there mm. so that you can decide for yourself if yeah. he really was or not and then the king stabs him with the yeah. dagger that he's taken off the of tom john who was acting and death is all like okay and he pulls out this hourglass with bells on it yeah, <laughs> yeah. so sad yeah, no. so so terrible <laughs> and he taps it and goes hmm no. Uh, and it's a fake dagger of the sort we've all played with in the mm. theatre. Granny picks it up and Nanny had previously said, well, he's going to come back and take the kingdom. He's got to have a magic sword. <laughs> and Granny picks this knife up and passes it to Nanny. And says, oh, there's your magic sword. It stabs <laughs> someone and doesn't kill them. That's pretty magical. <laughs> and that's when it all falls apart for the for the Duke. Good. Yeah. He yeah. deserves it. Uh, more like puke. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> the witches reveal he's the king's son. He's the heir to the throne. We're going to make him king. And Tom John is kind of like, you are? I don't want that. Yeah, what are you talking about? And he's wearing the crown at this stage as well because it was the only crown left in the box of crowns. Oh, that's mm. right, because the other ones all got lost or, or yeah. broken. And again, here's the propaganda. Here's Granny Weatherback's going, see, it's him, how the resemblance is there and how the crown fits in perfectly. And he goes, does it fit him perfectly? He's like, the only thing that stops it from being a necklace is his ears. Yeah. So it's just... <laughs> It's all storytelling yeah. that people are buying into because of the magic of the theatre and of mm. words. But there's all that implication, like maybe it buzzed when he picked it up. Maybe it did this, but yeah. it did not. When all this goes on, the Duke really properly loses it. He's doing like a full... <laughs> That's how I like to imagine it. He's just laughing. He's full laughing to himself and then looking at his hands and just seeing them streaming with blood. Yeah, uh, and he thinks he's a ghost. Yeah, yeah. he puts a sheet over himself. Yeah, and every... <laughs> he's like, "I'm going to haunt this place forever." And that's like, "Um, you're not a ghost." <laughs> no, I am a ghost. I am a ghost. And then his capering like means he falls off the edge of the castle mm. and, and becomes become an actual ghost. ghost. Which is very nicely wrapped up. Mm. Yeah, in yeah. a sheet. Tom John just does not want to be the king. Mm. He sort of goes along with it to a certain degree, but he's like, "This is not what I want. I don't want this." And then that's when the witches reveal, well, there is another. And Margaret's surprised, but then puts it all together. Yeah. Because Nanny's been telling her to look at the fool, not as a fool, but look at him properly. Yeah. Mm. She sort of figures that something is there, but she doesn't quite know what it is. Yeah. And then people start remarking about how he looks quite like Tom, Tom John, and he also mm. looks like the king a bit. Mm. Yeah. And, yeah, they say he's also the king's son. Because he thought he was called Verence because people name their child after the king. And that's just mm. a thing that's done. Yeah. Mm. But it turns out... He's named after his dad. Or 
Or is he? <laughs> He's not, but he thinks he is. Um, yeah, and that, I love that final reveal. It's like, yeah. you know, he's the king. You make him the king. And, of course, he's... He's perfect key yeah. material because he's actually yeah. very smart. He can speak and think like a politician yeah. and get mm. stuff done. So he agrees to do it. But it's only when the three witches are meeting after he's been crowned that Nanny Og reveals that, well, yeah, look, um, I remember his dad. <laughs> <laughs> and he's actually the queen's son, not the king's yeah. son. Yeah. Um, was his dad the milkman? No, his dad's a fool, isn't it? Like, like, oh, like, no, his dad wasn't a fool. fool. His dad was like, like, a, like a cad, like a like a gad about town who who ran out of town. And that's why his granddad, who was a fool, was so keen on him being a fool because his son had not taken up. Well, that's how I read it anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so him and Tom John are brothers. It's yeah. just, and they share a dad. It's just that dad's not the king. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And their mum is, or one of their mothers is at least is the queen. It's never, never made. Well, presumably both of their mothers are the queen. Well, Tom John's mother would be the queen because he was the official son. Yeah. yeah, true. But um, the the fool's mother is referred to as an uncommon beauty, like earlier in the book, and mm. that kind of thing, and mm. probably yeah. part of court. So. And like really, really early on, one of the witches, I think it's Granny Weatherwax, says, oh, you'd have to be a fool to be a king. Hmm. Yeah. Do, 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 do. Hmm. Granny Weatherwax with the zingers. Yeah. <laughs> it's just great. And I like how it ends with a few things unresolved. Mm. So you kind of know that they'll be back. Yeah. Like Magra and the fool haven't really made it up and that their story's clearly not over. And all the foreshadowing of Granny Weatherwax turning evil. Like at yeah. some, you know, at some point, not that she ever really does, but like she pushes it to the edge a lot of the time. Yeah. Mm. And that's weird, sisters. It's, mm. it's a real, it's a real ride. Yeah. Are there any things that we want to talk about that we haven't covered going through the plot? Any favorite bits or, or interesting parts? Quaffing. Oh, yeah. That's a real <laughs> theme in this, isn't it? <laughs> Just quaffing a pint. And what does quaffing a pint mean? I think it's on page 12. There's that <laughs> footnote. Quaffing's like drinking, but you spill more. Mm. And they have Huel being bad at quaffing because he manages to get too much of the drink in his mouth, so he yeah. gets drunk. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's one of the many ways in which he is a bad dwarf. Oh, yeah. such a bad dwarf. He's bad at being a dwarf. I had that written in all caps in my in my notes, just quaff, just for the yeah. record. Uh, just anything involving Grebo. I love the way he describes Grebo just in general, and you like know exactly what he looks like. You have two cats. I do. What kind of cats are they? British short hairs. Yeah. I have a friend, Nick, in Sydney who has a male British short hair. Oh, they're so much bigger. And he reminds me of Grebo. I think Grebo would be that kind of cat, but then much more scarred up and beaten up. Well, facts about British short hairs, boom, boom, boom. Um, they're actually the original British street cat. Huh. So they're a really old, long-lived breed. I'd be surprised if that's not what he's talking about. Um they are super big, pretty lazy though. So I'm wearing that kind of suits Grubo. The, yeah, the males get up to about 10 kilos sometimes if they're really big. Gretchen's like five and a half. Wow. Uh, but the boys, they're one of the few cats that have really distinctive male-female traits. Um, so they get like jowls, almost like orangutan. <laughs> you know how orangutans get the face puffs? Yeah. They get jowls. Um, the Cheshire cat is actually a, a British short hair. Huh. Wow. For in Alice in Wonderland as well. So, um, yeah, they were the street cat. They kind of sort of died out and then they, they started to die out and then they bred them in with a couple of other breeds. I wouldn't put Grebo past being a, a British short hair. Wow. Um, and they come in different colors, like lots of different colors. So that seems about right. That's amazing. Mm. Well, you mentioned the librarian's jowls, actually. That does remind me. There's always been a description of the librarian that stuck out in my brain. There's a version of it in this book, which is when he's in the bar fight. Yeah. 
and it talks about his arms. Yeah. An arm like a couple of broom handles strung together with elastic and covered with red fur unfolded itself in a complicated motion and smacked him across the jaw so hard that he rose several inches into the air and landed on a table. They're so strong as well, orangutans. Like, they mm. can rip people's heads off. Mm. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't, but they could. Yeah. Which I guess is why he's like a witch as well. Um, there's a good footnote that's quite short. It's um, about how verm- vermines are like the worst or better cousins of lemmings because they just throw themselves off pebbles rather than cliffs, <laughs> which I thought was quite a nice image. Um, I like the one about the previous king, King Murin or Murun, and how he died. Uh, he met a terrible fate. And the note is involving a red hot poker, a privy, 10 pounds of live eels, a three mile stretch of the frozen river, a bunch of wine, a couple of tulip bulbs, a number of poison eardrops, an oyster, and a large man with a mallet. King Murin didn't make friends easily. It's just like, I like the idea that that was maybe either just one person's effort to really kill him or several people at once decided at the same time. See, Rasputin could have survived that. Like, <laughs> sure. Didn't Rasputin drown in the end? Like, wasn't he shot and poisoned and stabbed and then he was thrown in a river and in the end they think he drowned? Well, he, didn't well, even, he didn't even die in the drowning. He got back out of the river. Well, if we're going with the movie Anastasia as canon, which is always what I mm-hmm. uh, do, uh, he came out of the river. Yeah, one of my favourite jokes is about the standing stone. Like, mm-hmm. it's not a circle of standing stones. It's just one. And yet, even though there's only one of them, no one had ever been able to count it. <laughs> and later on in the book, it gets freaked out. And when the witches show up, it's not there. Yeah. <laughs> and when they leave, it comes out of the swamp and looks around <laughs> to make sure they've gone. <laughs> I thought that was great. I also really like the one about Goody Wemper's experiments, and I kind of wish we'd have gotten to see her a bit more because it sounds like she was this scientific vegan witch who mm. sort of sat around going, okay, what can we replace with this? And she interrogated things quite carefully and closely. Being a research witch. Yeah. yeah, but then also somehow smells of patchouli all the time, I'm sure. Yeah. It's all very well calling for Eye of Newt, but do you mean common, spotted, or great crested? Which eye mm. anyway, and will tapioca do just as well? Yeah. <laughs> now I'm imagining witches like making bubble tea in their cauldron. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that would be amazing. But yeah, that was great. And that, that, which also kind of echoes the thing about when Nanny Og's looking at the play with that sort of eye of a yeah. research scientist. I love any time Nanny Og just turns up and is excessively grandmotherish, but it's very threatening. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah. She's never formal. Like when mm. they show up and Magrat's trying to say, oh, well met by moonlight and may starlight shine upon. And, and Nanny Og's just like, watcha. <laughs> you what? Yeah. Oh, she's the best. We always try to answer a few listener questions before uh, we wrap things up. So what have we got, Liz? So we've got one from the other Ian Banks. Ian, as someone who just received Portuguese fan mail for the other Ben McKenzie, I feel your pain. Do you think that this is the book where Terry Pratchett stops making fun of fantasy and begins to re-slash-deconstruct it as well? I think he definitely, there's a lot of reverence for it in this book, but I think maybe part of that is because he's making fun of a different art form within Mm. it. And I feel like this is maybe the first book that's kind of done that. So there's been other books where he's made fun of different cultures, like the one in Australia, it's just ridiculous. This is the first book where he's brought something else in and made it more ridiculous and then taken a nice loving hand to the fantasy to kind of pulled that ridiculousness into itself. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And this becomes a real repeated theme of Discworld books, that there's something from our world going into the Discworld and affecting it in some way, or Mm. there's an analogue of that. Yeah. Like with movies in moving pictures or Mm. rock music in soul music, that kind of stuff. 
Yeah. And there's a real nice, um, you know, and obviously you can sort of pinpoint where a lot of the places are, even though it's never explicitly said, you know, like Ant Pork is absolutely London, but like gross, like in, almost like pre-industrial, like um, era London where everything's just grimy and people are being murdered and yeah. just all that sort of thing. Um, but I think by setting it within that real world, within a fantasy world, it gives them such carte blanche to kind of play around with everything else, mm. um, which I think is pretty wonderful. I think there's some truth in the idea that he's not parodying fantasy as much in this. There's still elements of fantasy in yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. But here it's he's more commenting on fairy tales and theatre. Mm. And this is still a fairly early book. It's only the sixth one. Yeah. But in the earlier ones, it's really more a pastiche. Mm. And particularly in the very early ones, and, uh, and especially the Rincewind books, yeah. It's a pastiche of a very specific kind of high fantasy, like sword and yeah. sorcery kind of stuff. Whereas this is much more eclectic, like you said. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've got a quick admin one, which I'll quickly deal with myself as well. We've got one from Steve Leahy, which is, are you planning on covering any of the non-Discord Pratchett books? In short, yes. On to the next question. Is Granny Weatherwax the best female protagonist of all time? This one comes in from Caroline Brown. Well, I mean, she's pretty good. I mean, there's so many good female protagonists, mm. even just within this world. Like Sergeant Angler um, is a big one for me. Susan um, Stohelet, she's one of my uh, favorites. She's super amazing. Um, Adorable. Mm-hmm. She's such a dear heart. Such a dear heart. <laughs> I mean, I've already nailed my colors to the mast and my favorite is Nanny. Bob, yeah, totally. So I, but, but, you know, it is very tempting to just answer this question by saying yes, partly because you feel like that's what Granny wants you to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, oh, is she the best of all time? Oh, she's so good. It's just hard. I feel like Pratchett does his women really well. What I like about Granny Weatherwax is that she's not framed by any men. Because mm-hmm. um, quite often he has these wonderful, strong women, but then they'll accept men that are a bit less than them. Does that make sense? Yeah, like Kanina. Like, yeah. Nigel. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and Adorabelle as well. Um, I know I'll fight you on Moist One Lipwig being. Uh, but, but, <laughs> like he's, he's like, he's great, but he's not great. He's just that kind of, uh, like he's, he's, he becomes great, but I think part of that is through her. And uh, Sergeant Angu and Kara, I feel, are a nice equal footing couple, which is good. But then there's just a few women, even Margaret taking mm. on uh, The Fool is just that they're usually framed by our relationship. So I like that Granny Weatherwax isn't and her relationship framing is with another woman, which is Nanny Og and Nanny Og's relationships. Well, she's framed by many men. <laughs> yeah. Most of whom are in her past, to be yeah. fair. Yeah. Uh, but even uh, Vimes and Sybil. I mean, that's a really nice kind of head on sort of relationship, but she's very much a woman in her own right. And it's yeah. great that he writes those. Mm. Um, and usually the men that they're with have such respect for that as well. I can't think of anyone that doesn't. Yeah. Right. And yeah. our, our next question comes from ZB Simpson, which is, which, which are you? I wish I was Nanny Og. Don't we all? But it's, it's kind of like, that's kind of like asking, are you Kirk, Spock or Bones? Cause they kind of embody different things. Mm. I think I'm Nanny Og with a Magrite rising. <laughs> <laughs> Like a nanny or gibbous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. See, I don't think I, I love the main three so much, but mm. I don't feel like personality wise, I sway towards any of them mm. particularly well. If I had to pick one to be for the rest of my life to line up with my personality, I'd probably pick Goody Wemper, even though she's mm. dead because oh. of her scientific mind and her just general curiosity. She sounds like she would have been an interesting person. Yeah. And just enjoys interrogating things a bit. 
Yeah. I like the anger of T- Tiffany. I um, I definitely feel that. Mm. The way she just gets mad at things and then goes at it. Like I really like that about her. I like the emotion of her because I feel like the other witches don't really have that so much because they're always so excessively practical. Mm. And she's practical but with feelings and I enjoy that. Yeah. All right. And our mm. final question is a bit of an admin one. It comes from Jodie Martin and she's asking if there's any chance of us formally declaring a hashtag for – those reading along to discuss previous and current book. Um, she suggested hashtag Pratt chat and to add a number. So we were thinking if people did want to chat along online, hashtag Pratt chat with the episode number. So this would be mm. hashtag Pratt chat four. Yeah. And I know that's a bit different to what you suggested, Jody, but we felt that if we tried to use the discord number, um, when we did non-Discworld books, we would run into a problem. So mm, correct. Uh, mm. if you want to chat about this episode on Twitter, you can use the hashtag PrattChat4. Ooh. Yeah. Mm. That brings us to the end of another episode of PrattChat. Ellie, thank you so much for coming along. Thank you so much for having me. It's actually made me want to go back and read some of the books because it's been a while because yeah. I haven't read some of the more recent ones because it makes me sad. Yeah. We have already pre-committed, I think, to reading the last Discworld book, The Shepherd's Crown, <sighs> last That'll be the last one we read, which That's will be a, a very book, emotional it? time. Yeah. It's going to be difficult. But thank you so much for coming. No, I really appreciate it's it. It's been a delight. Now, people can find out more about you and your alter ego, Clara Cupcakes, yes. uh, as you go on the Worst World Tour. Mm-hmm. Very yep. soon, you're off. Well, where can they find out about where to find you? Uh, you can go to Facebook, just look up Clara Cupcakes. Sometimes that comes up with a girl that makes cupcakes in like San Diego or Santa Monica or something like that. So if you've got Clara Cupcakes comedy, uh, that is me. I usually pop all my things up on there. Also, Instagram. Uh, I keep that pretty updated. You can also see my cats that look like tiny gribos. <laughs> also Twitter. Uh, I do have a website, claracupcakes.com, but I feel like it's been hacked by um, Russians uh, and sometimes it's porn. So uh, I so haven't worked out how so to go fix there that first. yet. We need to tell everyone what we're going to be reading next <gasps> time, Liz. Well, um, I wanted to make a joke about being more square about it, but it's pyramids. So, <laughs> so I should try harder. Uh, well, it's a, it's a standalone Discworld novel. We're going to be reading it and talking about it with Richard McKenzie. Ooh. I'm very excited about this. And we'd just like to thank some of our listeners who've already gone on to iTunes where they listen to us and given us a rating. That was really lovely of you. There's some nice reviews on there as well. And if you do want to help us out and help people find us, that's a great way to do it. So if you do like the podcast let people know either on iTunes or you can tweet about us. But I guess there's just one question left to ask this episode, which is when shall we three meet again? Well, on the 8th of next month, obviously. Uh, I can't come. I'm washing my hair, actually. Oh, okay. We could get a basin. So we three won't be meeting. So we two will. We yeah. two and a different one. Also have Richard. a thing about strange basins. Um, oh, okay. So well, that's oh. fair. Not saying that you're dirty, but... You've been listening to Pratchett, the monthly Terry Pratchett book club podcast hosted by Elizabeth Flux and me, Ben McKenzie. This month's guest Pratchatter was Ellie Squire, also known as Clara Cupcakes. Pratchett is produced and edited by me with music by David Ashton of Sample and Holt Studios. We'd love to hear from you. Find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Pratchett Podcast or on the web at PratchettPodcast.com. Use the hashtag PrattChat4 to join the discussion for this episode. PrattChat is brought to you by Splendid Chaps Productions. We make entertainment for your ears. To find out more, visit SplendidChaps.com.